0: The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Come with us on a journey
1: is my own Renfield
0: Steve Parsons. Good evening, Ron. How are you? Hey, how are you? Well, you know me. I always complain. Nobody ever listens. No, I would never.
1: Uh, do you know who Renfield is? No. No? No? Because I probably no. mispronounced it in knowing me. It's also from Bram Stoker's Dracula. He was the little guy that... Uh, he tried. 80- yeah, what see, my,
0: somebody knows that. Eat flies. Did, yeah, well, I was staying what, away from that part. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for that. I was going to say, like, poor <laughs> <cool> character.
2: <laughs> but
1: uh, also joining us today is also from Parascience uh, in Wins... I, I'm going to mess this up. Winslow. Winslow? Winspa. 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 In, in it's, almost, it's almost Polish. Winspa. Like it's a poker or something. Oh, I don't know.
2: good grief. <laughs> Not quite.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Wait a minute. I'm 100% Polish, so careful. Careful where you, uh, tread young lady. Well,
2: uh, you wouldn't say that if you knew what my heritage was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyways, we are enjoying lovely weather here in the, U- in the U.S. It's 70 degrees out. The sun is shining and all is well with the world.
0: Well, that's good, because we've had uh, a lovely uh, bank ho- spring bank holiday over here, and now we've got, uh, I think it's a hurricane or a tropical storm forecast for Thursday. Um, oh, with cool. s- 60 mile an hour winds and driving rain, so it must be the British summer. Mm. Hey. You get
1: our weather from us, right? Your weather from us?
0: No, no, no. We we uh, we get it now from Europe. It's a new EU directive. We have to have European weather. Oh, it comes over the channel? Yeah, they, they send it over uh, through the channel tunnel. Ah, uh, there you go. No, so, it, anyway, it tends to come from your side. So uh, what you get, we sometimes get a few days later.
1: It, you know, it's really amazing. I mean, you think about all the... Uh the science we have nowadays, and we still have a hard time uh, with the weather. And you know what's really funny too, is now the European weather models are actually better than the US weather models. And well, if we, we, were le- we were the leader at one time.
0: Uh, I don't recall, I think the British Met Office is still uh, classed as the world leaders, but if, yeah. if they were 100% accurate, we'd have nothing at all to complain I'm about, nothing to talk about.
2: I'm very sad that you said there's a hurricane on the way, because I spent all afternoon putting the greenhouse back together after the last one.
0: Well, you should have read the Met Office (laughs) warnings that have been... I should have done. They've been issuing them all day. Yeah, I'm proud to say that the British Met Meteorological Office is one of the... uh, is the world's leading Met um, forecasting service. Yeah.
1: Okay. you say so.
0: No, honestly, it is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there must be. No, no awesome seriously, money. seriously, yeah. we're very, very. Uh, it's four men in tweed jackets with pipes, and they, uh, they use the we're tried and trusted. Ten. Yeah, they use the tried and trusted method of, as I recall Dousing. from, uh, they open the win- they look out of the window, and then they tell lies. Oh,
1: I thought they doused, but is, isn't anything to do with the the British four men in tweed glasses smoking pipes?
0: Uh, all of our all of our uh, official agencies are staffed by four men in tweed jackets smoking pipes. That's what I thought.
1: Anyways, we have Ian with us, who is going to talk about EVPs, and, I, and I'm kind of curious about this because EVPs in the U.S. I think are different than UP. EVPs. and the, there's too many letters in the world now. Make just assigned
0: symbols like, you know, like Prince from, you know. Well, we're gonna confuse you further later because um, they've now changed it over here to AVPs.
1: Well, there's a difference. We've always had AVPs, but we'll, we'll talk about that. So why don't you uh, take the lead in this, uh, Stephen? You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So go ahead, well, my young man.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Um, I think many, of our, many, many people will be aware of the upsurge in EVP over recent years, particularly in the paranormal investigation field. And this has led to quite a number of devices, um, most notably perhaps the Ovalus, which I think the Ovalus 3 has just been released. Um, but my uh, co-founder uh, in parascience, Anne Winsper, who's on with us tonight, has uh, taken it upon herself to study this in a, a great deal more depth as part of her, her own PhD research. Um, but in a particular, you're, you're not just uh, taking the machines out into the field, are you, Anne? You're doing something much more interesting uh, with EVP research.
2: Well, it's turned into, as everything we study, it's turned into such an enormous task that I've realised that I could do about seven PhDs. So I'm having to target in on quite a small area. So obviously as part of what we do with parascience, Steve has got the technical ability to look at the equipment and we are doing our own studies looking at that kind of thing. But obviously... Because I'm doing psychology, I'm having to tailor a lot of it to psychology-biased things. So I'm trying to replicate some of the stuff in the laboratory and also tie in a lot of the work that's been done psychology-wise, looking at paranormal beliefs and how people interpret things and try and tie all that together in the lab and also look at the properties of things like white noise and the sound clips that people are listening to and try and pick them apart and actually see what's building up these sound clips and what people are hearing in these sound clips and how people are interpreting them and making them into what they believe are the voices of the dead and what is predisposing people into making them into these voices of the dead. So it's quite, it's quite a large task for it's a very small area of the subject. So, I'm going back to the basics of EVP really, with the white noise and the sound overlaid on it, rather than going straight in with the modern day stuff of all the really modern day gadgets with what I think of as the quick fix EVP, which is cycling through the radio stuff. That will come That's in. That's not
1: later. really EVP though, Ian. And if not you look up the true definition of an EVP...
2: Exactly. <laughs> well, here we go, because... Fight! It's, well, no, because this is where the whole field has gone, and you get a lot of people, particularly in this country now, they go out and they call these things EVPs, and this is where the but whole field needs picking apart.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, It just irritates me because, I'm sorry, Steve, but it just irritates me that so many people call anything they get audible as EVPs. And and if you really go into the beginnings of EVPs and understand what EVPs are, they're not. And I've argued this case many times, but it's falling on dead ears, basically.
0: Uh, That's always going to be the case, though, Ron, because um, it's been – it's rather like EMF meters because, I mean, technically they don't measure electromagnetic fields. uh, But it's just a term that's become used – you know, it's accepted in common parlance. And EVP research is still going on uh, in the classical sense. There are groups – particularly in Europe, who are looking at the classical EVP, the Raudiva, um Jürgensen style, and that's the style where a, a background noise or sound was played and the, re, uh, the researcher would ask a series of questions, leaving pauses and then play back the the audio later. But uh, the move towards this electronic modern um, EVP, really, uh, it comes from your side, Ron, um, and it comes from uh, Frank Sumption and his idea primarily.
1: Frank's box, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. instant, uh, I want it now, um, no waiting around, the McDonald's approach. Um, you know, don't want to, can't be bothered waiting to play back the sound, so we'll we'll try and do it in real time. He's not the first to to, to try real time communications. Um, George Meek used a device called Spiracom. Uh, d- invented a device called Spiricom to try the what same thing. George Meek, George, George Meek, an Meek. American rese- researcher. It, um, it,
1: there's I, always been, you know, talk about Thomas Edison and, and the
0: Spiracom. Uh, no Spiracom. Um, the device itself uh, was invented much, much, much after Edison. Edison's Edison's links to EVP are, are, are perhaps not that clear. Uh, he did suggest or imply that he believed that communications via radio or an electronic means was possible, but uh, he never... To the best He's of never
2: been knowledge. proof that he actually did it, although he hinted at it.
0: That's right. And, of course, Tesla um, and one or two other researchers um, also hinted of an involvement. But uh, it wasn't re- – I mean, there have been people claiming to use electronic methods of communication since the 19th century. Um, you know, there have been various attempts, most of them using radio. Um, and that's where assumption, I think, picks up his idea from. But I think Anne's looking at it in a completely different way because most people concentrate on on the actual sounds themselves or, or what they're saying, more specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And there is an automatic assumption that we're dealing with dead people. But and you you've got a different way of looking at it, haven't you?
2: Um. To me, again, I can't prove whether we're listening to dead people or not, but um, my experiments have always been to see uh, whether people are more likely to pick out voices or assumed voices and what makes them more likely to do that because I cannot ever say that is the voice of a dead person or not. I can't but, do that. There is no it, way but definitively. But,
1: Anne, is, isn't that a given, though? I mean, isn't that basically, I mean, I always call it matrixing, whether it's audio matrixing or visual matrixing. is another word for, you know what it is. But it, it, isn't that what we're, you know, inbred to do? I mean, we'll always do that. We'll always look for familiarities. We'll always look for order. We'll always look for something that we can recognize.
2: It's... We will do that, but then you have to actually prove what makes people do it and what's within those people. Very people say off the top of their heads, and it annoys me a lot that people say, Oh, yes, that's just people's, um, it's just uh, like, um, oh, the words escape me. When you see um, patterns in visual phenomena,
0: Paradox. Um,
2: that's the word I was looking for. paradox. Yeah, they use say People say, oh, it's audio pareidolia, they're just hearing things. But nobody's done the experiments to prove it. Nobody's done it. Everyone just makes the assumption. And all the parapsychologists say, that's what it is, case closed. But nobody's done the experiments to prove it. So I'm doing the experiments. There you go. (laughs) So that's why I'm doing it, because everyone's just making the assumptions and nobody's ever actually proved it.
0: Right. I think it suits both parties, though, doesn't it? Because it really does suit the sceptics to explain it away so, you know, almost flippantly as, oh, well, it's it's um, you know, And The sceptics do this for so many other things, don't they? Um, one of the most bizarre ones, I, 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 I'm sure Anne will remember, was a, a British parapsychologist named Louis Sava, uh, who made a short a number of appearances on Most Haunted, who used to dismiss everything that the medium says as telepathy. Um, Another thing we can't prove. Exactly, but uh, this parapsychologist just used to say, oh, it'll just be telepathy, um, without really, you know, considering what he was actually saying. And I think you find that you find that in the believer camp as well. Um, you, you, you find this—it's uh, with the Stone Tape. Everybody cites the Stone Tape um, as, a, as a possibility, but again, there is absolutely no evidence for its existence at all. Uh, and yet, it's trotted out by the believers, you know, almost as a de facto. And another de facto is all poltergeist cases involve prepubescent girls. I agree. So it's good to see somebody um, actually doing the the research.
2: And all the research that's published is very much biased into showing that people with paranormal belief are obviously a bit mad and prone to misbelief. And I don't think that's necessarily true. In previous studies that I've done, I've shown that believers are actually more accurate when you put them under these trial conditions than non-believers. So it may actually be that believers, people with, not people with very strong paranormal beliefs, but people with, mild paranormal beliefs are actually more accurate at these tests than people who are not believers. So actually it may be that there is some sort of advantage to having some sort of mild paranormal belief. It might be that when I do lots of replication studies, this effect disappears, but I need to do the studies to show it. But again, all the studies that are trotted out, people go into them saying, well, I'm going to show that paranormal believers probably have some sort of cognitive defect. So I'm going to study them for this this and this which will probably prove it, oh look it did, therefore it's true. And it might not be true, so again I'm looking at it from a slightly different angle.
1: So Anne, I have to ask you, when you're doing your studies, are you doing it on true EVPs or all uh, audio phenomena?
2: Well, at the moment, uh, I'm still trying to set up exactly the kind of files that I'm going to be playing to people. In the past, I've actually created files which weren't true EVP files. I've replicated files that... um, Well, like EVPs, but weren't genuine EVPs. I generated them in the lab to replicate what an EVP would sound like. But um, what I would like to do is do that again, but also put in some apparent genuine EVPs. But again, it's very difficult because obviously in blinded studies, you have to be... (sighs) what do you take as a genuine EVP? Because we're making the assumption then that EVP does exist, so it's quite difficult. But what I'm hoping to be able to do, if I can unpick the sound files, is picking out what makes up these sound files that makes people think they're hearing voices and then maybe we can play with that a bit and, you and know, create some files and maybe put some suggestions in there that we can get people actually hearing what we might suggest to them that they could hear. So I think once we pick them apart, we can actually play with them and get people to hear what we might want them to hear. So there's an awful lot of work that can be done. As I said, I'm not sure I'll be able to get to do this in one PhD. There's so much work, and it's so interesting and so much that we can do. I'm quite excited, as you can probably tell. There's so much we can play with.
1: Now we actually have a question, and this is something that Steve brought up in the uh, Pararex chat room and they said uh, Kat said that she n- has 't ever heard any reports of poltergeist activity involving anyone other than teenage girls uh
0: there are there are There are many many documented accounts of poltergeists where the focus or the supposed focus is is not a teenage girl um, I'm just trying to think of some off the top of my head, some of the most notable cases. um, The Wesleyan, um, I think the Charles Wesley one, uh, several we've been involved with have have had... In fact, one of the ones that Anne and I were both involved with, so we can talk about, I think fairly confidently, involved a lady who was in her mid-30s, if I'm correct. Um, So, yeah, there is certainly a... Preponderant propensity towards uh, teenagers, juveniles, but there is this just as I said before, it's an assumption that all cases uh, involve a prepubescent girl, and it's just a, a line that people trot out. Um, there are there are actually quite a number that involve the elderly as well. Um, so there's a broad really? there's a there's a broad sp- uh, spread of, uh, of age ranges um, with poltergeists. The Runcorn case uh, for. British listeners, which is a notable one over here in the UK, and certainly on a par with the, the very famous Enfield Partygeist, uh, that involved a, a young uh, a young boy. Um, is that the so, drama one? Uh, no, that's, that was... Uh, uh, Tensil. that's right, that's right, my, my bad. Um, so, yeah, I... It is just—it's uh, an incorrect assumption. Um, there are certainly a lot of cases that do involve girls. And there's a lot that involve boys, and there are lots that uh, involve, you know, other ages too. In fact, in the in the ToggyNet chat room, we have uh, uh, one of the got one of the uh, people in the chat room. They're saying that they're looking at one uh, with a case uh, w- involving a man in his twenties. But, again, we... But, uh, I mean, once
1: again, you have to define what poltergeist activity is. Well,
0: the other thing that... There there is an assumption that that, uh, all poltergeist cases have a focus. Uh, A poltergeist literally means a noisy ghost, and nowadays it's assumed that, you know, anything that gets thrown, knocked, moved, is is now labelled as a poltergeist case. Um, But there is a a huge crossover between the traditional haunting case, the haunt case, and poltergeist cases. Um, You know, just because uh, in a haunted building objects start moving um, doesn't necessarily mean it's a poltergeist and vice versa. And also, there is an assumption that a poltergeist case always has to have a focus. Uh, Again, this comes really from... uh, it's just one of the, it's almost an urban myth um, that, you know, research hasn't been done. Um, I mean, that's the, the,
2: one of the reasons why they started calling it um, spontaneous PK rather than just saying poltergeist because it's just like an extension of psychokinesis, moving objects, but doing it without having the knowledge of doing it. So, okay, it might be more common where you've got a small child but it's again one of the things that I wanted to look at under laboratory conditions but I couldn't get ethical approval to do it because one of the suggestions, Yeah, I I had some brilliant experiments where I wasn't allowed to do them (laughs) because one one of the suggestions is that it's to do with emotions or changes, uh, extreme changes of emotional states can cause these effects. So it can cause some sort of PK effect where you see, and it's what's reported sometimes in haunted houses, apparent haunted houses. People argue, you see doors slamming, windows slamming, and those are the sort of things that are also reported in poltergeist cases.
0: And it's also worth pointing out that there is actually no uh, researched link to to indicate that it is Coming from a human source at all, that it there is you know nobody's ever measured these apparent energy bursts or or teenage angst bursts of of, of emotional energy that can cause objects to get thrown around the place, and you know it, it's just as likely that you know, if we accept the idea that parapsychologists say that you know oh, that teenagers having a, an angry moment and that's why the the pot came flying across the room well if a teenage if a teenage mind in angst can do that then why can't a dead mind in angst be you know an equally accepted possibility that's true now, Nobody's ever very measured true. these these huge energy bursts that, that parapsychologists trot out so readily. But if we just go back to, uh, to EVP for a minute, there's a question or there's a comment on the tog- <laughs> in the toggy that. scat room. And it's one I'd like to deal with because it says uh, we are all very sceptical with EVP unless the words are clear. But I would argue that um, I've heard some remarkably clear uh, audio that, that quite clearly isn't paranormal, but people are accepting as is. Um, and it's... The words become very clear once you know what you're listening to um, mm-hmm. and, you know, what you're expecting to hear. And over here we have a comedian called Peter Kay as mm-hmm. part of his uh, stage show, does a, a neat thing with, with songs uh, and he plays well-known pop uh, pop tunes and takes, takes wor- uh, lines out of them and tells the audience in advance uh, that the words are... Uh, not quite what, you know, we've all sung along to songs and we've all sung the wrong words. Um, And once he said it to the audience, uh, you can't help but hear very, very clearly. Um, And I think one, you know, the ABBA one, um, you know, we all know Chikatita, but everybody I know can only hear Chicken Tika. Chicken Tika. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody sings Chicken Tika. And when you listen to the song, it is very, very clear because... Um, i'm sure Anne is far better equipped to explain this um you you hear what your brain wants to hear is that right Anne?
2: yes very much so and unfortunately once you've got it you'll never get rid of it <laughs> as we know from especially with music annoyingly with music music seems to have far more of that effect but of course this was what rowd used to do um Whenever he played his clips to people, he would prompt them beforehand in what they were supposed to hear. And if they agreed, he would use it as proof that they were actually clips saying what he said they were going to say. And if they disagreed, he would class the person as a bad listener and dismiss him. So, (laughs) very much a win-win situation, but... um... So yes, there was an awful lot of prompting, which again is one of the conditions that I use in the experiments. I either prompt people beforehand what they're going to hear or don't prompt them. And in my next lot of experiments, I'm going to prompt them with something different and see if they come up with a different interpretation. But it's very easy to prompt people to hear something completely different.
0: No. I remember um, Most Haunted doing a, a series of experiments uh, on their live shows, and at the start of every show, uh, each live uh, three night live, they would say, "We're going to play some live EVPs and get you know the the uh, viewers at home to text in and email in what they thought was being said." And so you would have four of these EVPs: one, two, three, four. A, B, C, D, E. Uh, a, B, C, D, sorry. Um, it's late. Um, and people would would take a stab at it. And about 20 minutes into the programme, across the bottom of the screen, they would run the caption bar and they would say, uh, you know, uh, EVP A, a lot of people... Uh, some people are hearing, it's a white horse, help get me out of here. Uh, and lots of different things. But once they'd started to put up uh, what, w- what other people were hearing... Uh, during the course of the three-hour programme, you would find that more and more people would start to agree on one thing, help get me out of here, help get me out of here. And by the end of the show, surprisingly, 80% of the people texting in were all hearing the same thing. And the reason for that, of course, is because they were looking at the caption bar on the bottom of the screen and being effectively being told what, what it was they were going to hear.
1: Actually, we have to take a break right now, so uh, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parascience, Steve Parson, New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick, and our special guests and Winspa. And we'll be right back after the following messages right here on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Stay tuned. Mysterious and spooky, they all talk gooky, The Para-X family, The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal. The Para-X family—they're
0: strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time
1: to rendezvous as we give awards to the Para-X family. So, Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show?
0: What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening.
1: Like uh, Beyond Bizarre.
0: And cemetery tripping.
1: Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host.
0: <laughs> I am brave beyond
1: belief. Nothing yeah, we'll say scares me. So, anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles: Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International, right here on TouchNet ParX Ghost Channel and Beyond with Mister Parascience Steve Parsons and Mrs.
0: Parascience and Winslow. <laughs> 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 oh, we haven't been called up for a long time. <laughs> I this. <guess. laughs> <laughs> you know what? I mean,
1: we we are talking about parascience. We use that so thing. Oh, you are you are the co-founders. Is this correct?
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: So I maybe mean, give us a, a quick you know, how did Parascience Farm, how long has it been around and, and
0: what's what's the goal? Go on and you do it. Oh you I've, do I've, it. I've, I've I oh, alright then. Mm-hmm. Um back in the early nineteen nineties, um although I think we've both been investigating separately for beef, uh for some time before that um, we we met in a local paranormal group, um, and we discovered relatively quickly that um, they weren't averse to making it up as they went along, uh, primarily making up the evidence. Um, um. And with with sort of my love of gadgets and technology um, and Anne's fascination also with gadgets and technology, it has to be said, um, and also the truth, uh, we started to find that most of the stuff we were capturing on the uh, cameras and the, the sound recorders were members of the group. Um, This led to a big falling out and a strong desire to... uh, Anne and I had a long series of chats um, and then decided that if it was going to be done, it had to be done properly. Um, And so we decided to form our own group and we decided that we would uh, do it right. And that was a long, long time ago. So, hopefully, we've been getting better over the years. Uh, we were lucky, actually, because when we formed Parascience, YouTube and Facebook didn't exist, so we were able to make lots and lots of mistakes and nobody ever knew about them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, all, all of our skeletons were well and truly buried in the closet. But no, I mean go. seriously. Seriously, we we realised right from the start that there was ever there was only ever going to be one proper way of doing it. The methods already existed more or less because science defined the techniques and the methods for investigating things and measuring things. Um, all we did was do, divide, devise protocols and methods for implementing those, uh, you know, in in field research, field uh, for spontaneous cases.
1: I have to ask the you know the question is if you devise protocols and everything, are they written down anywhere, or is this just something as you make up as you go along?
0: Oh no, they're written down, um, and they're constantly reviewed and revised because obviously new techniques and new methods and new research comes along. But yes, we do actually have written protocols. Um, a lot of them are, you know, for measuring things, and so the protocols come from from industry because there are, you know, protocols for measuring sound and for measuring mm-hmm. light and for measuring temperature. Um, all we're doing is applying those those protocols uh, to the to the environment that we're measuring. It's it's basically environmental research. Okay. That right? Which I can except, I can understand. Except for, ex- Except for Anne, who uh, has a slightly different role in parascience, um, because one of the things that's very important for us to also document and measure is not just the, the location, but it's people's experiences, and not just the people uh, involved directly in the case, i.e. the people who live or work in a, play- in a location. I, I mean, left a gap there so anchor could come I was waiting too, but that's why again. I really dropped in there.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I was hoping you couldn't hear my stomach rumbling, actually. it did a very loud rumble at just the wrong moment.
1: It was will <laughs> support the guys, don't worry about it.
2: <laughs> well, yes, because there's no point plonking a load of people into a location if we're not also seeing how they respond to the location. We get all the witness statements, but we also need to see what the people think of the location, how they're responding in the location, if they're responding differently in a location, what their reports are. Are they bored in the location? Are they frightened in the location? Are they feeling unusual in the location? So I'm interested in how the people are reacting in the location. So. Steve is looking after how the location is reacting, and I'm looking at how the people are reacting in the location, so hopefully we can get a big picture about the whole, the big picture, the whole picture about what's going on.
1: Uh, You know, it's interesting, someone in the Pararex uh, chat room said, uh, you know, about setting up a, a website and so you put only true ghost pictures on, but then again, Who would be the expert to check to see if those were true pictures and what
0: would constitute a true picture? Well, we have, I think if memory serves me correctly, we have two pictures on the Parascience website. And the two pictures are merely things that we can't explain. Um, We don't have an equipment page either. Um, We don't have, you know, all of this sort of... uh, yeah, fluff that paranormal groups like to adorn their web pages with. We don't have any awards either. Um, but we mm-hmm. just get on with doing what we do. Uh, we don't look at anything really uh, in, the, in terms of the, para- the broader paranormal world. Uh, we don't look at UFOs and we, we don't look at big cats. Uh, we concentrate solely on hauntings, poltergeists, apparitions... And, and that sort of related phenomena, um, because, you know, it, it, it's it's a huge broad church, the paranormal, and it's very, very uh, diff, uh, easy to get led astray. I mean, individually within the team, we have people with a broad range of personal interests, but as a group, we only focus on on this sort of quite narrow band within, uh, within the sort of overall paranormal field
1: so do you do you uh your evidence is up for peer review as far as just in your own team or or how how do you handle it
0: handle it <laughs> uh
2: we do present well obviously it goes on the website so it can be peer reviewed but we also present at conferences and we do write things up for journals as well so we we always welcome peer review. Okay, it's interesting.
1: So the the other thing, and I, I, we we kind of switched from EVPs to parascience, but that's all right. We'll go back to EVPs in a second because I know you that you'll love and uh, with that new study you're doing. But um, w- one quick thing, as far as at parascience, is it a is it a close knit group? Is it an open group? Uh, how are members accepted? Uh, do you throw members out? I mean, are there you know, uh, what's the word of protocol? Do they break protocols? Are they gone? I mean, h- how do you handle this stuff?
0: Parascience was founded with, with uh, on the back of this, this bad experience with another paranormal group, and we decided that um, if it was going to be done, it had to be done uh, to a certain set of standards. And effectively, uh, what we did is we, we realised that one of the big problems the, the other group uh, had had was that of a committee who seemed to spend more time deciding what what should go on the front cover of the monthly newsletter and falling out with each other um, rather than ever getting anything done. So we, we decided right from the off that parascience was going to be small um, and also that it was going to take the form almost of a dictatorship uh, we have two coordinators, myself and Nan, and all of the decisions um as to how the group functions are taken by the two coordinators. Mm-hmm. Um, membership is as i say kept small deliberately um and by invitation um if If we 're not looking for high flyers, I mean we have everything from literally high flyers airline pilots through to you know housewives what we're, what we 're most concerned about and what impresses us uh, when we approach somebody about membership is just their interest in in the paranormal um, you know are they are they somebody who would fit in um, do they have a genuine interest above and beyond? Uh, you know, Ray just wanting to rush around and spend spend a scary night in a in a, in a spooky place because they're going to get bored. Um, so, yeah, we don't have a committee. Um, hopefully, Anne, uh, we do try and keep the team happy. Um, but you know, ultimately, somebody has to make the decision, and that, that, those decisions rest solely between Anne and I. Well, actually, actually, in reality, it rests with Anne, because I <laughs> phone her up and she tells me what to do. <laughs>
1: well, that's because she is a woman, and that's our life and yeah, life yeah, is still a yeah, yeah, woman, uh, so, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, my
0: official job title uh, is actually not coordinator. It, it's different, isn't it, Anne?
2: It's uh, scapegoat usually, isn't it?
0: That's the one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, think anyway. i get the blame. Yeah, that, I always get the blame, so I'm used to it. It's not a problem. I just accept it and move on. Um, let's go back to the EVP study that you are doing now. Uh, I, I'm interested. So it, it's going to be in a controlled situation, a laboratory situation. Are we, are we talking in an isolated situation?
2: Well, see, in an, in an ideal world, um, I want to get out in the field. But as you can imagine, universities and ethics committees are an absolute nightmare to get round. If you could see the 12 page documents I've already had back from the ethics committee saying you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. So I suspect I'm not going to actually be able to take people out in the field. So I'm going to certainly have to start off in a laboratory situation, then I'm hoping I'm going to be able to slowly shift it out into the field. Because, of course, one of my arguments about all the parapsychological type of investigations is that as soon as you take people out of the field and stick them in a a laboratory, you've completely changed the conditions where people are experiencing things. So really, you want to get people out in the field to try and replicate things. So, But the Ethics Committee is a bit of a nightmare to get things passed, unfortunately.
1: So this is a, a legitimate scientific study then?
2: Oh yes, very much so, it's, it's part of my PhD.
1: Oh. Ooh.
2: I, I, think <laughs> I don't the, like the way you said, ooh, then.
1: Because <laughs> that's going to be a nightmare in itself. I mean,
2: <laughs> exactly. As I said, if you could see the documents I've already had back from the Ethics Committee, they're not I impressed think, with any think, of the fact that it's paranormal, dealing with possibly sounds of dead people. You can imagine the way it's going already. So. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> An earlier experiment uh, of ours got thrown out by the Ethics Committee. We, we had this idea. Um, it involved... Um, mains electricity, electrodes, and mediums <laughs> in order to test the, the, the claims. I love it. But, yeah, I love it. Again, the ethics committee threw that one out. Apparently, it's not permitted to wire them up to polygraphs and the, and the mains electricity <laughs> at the same time. Uh, well, okay. I don't know. I, I kind of always liked that, that test they
1: did at Ghostbusters. Uh, Bill Murray, uh, you know, with the, the cards. I thought that was, you know, that was good field work.
0: That was oh, well. that was anyway, no, that was lab work, Ron.
1: Lab work. My, I meant to say lab, I'm, my apologies. Uh, yeah, that was uh, interesting. So I, I, I've thought of doing that myself, but
0: it's uh, not allowed. It's, well, I mean, you can do it. As actually, you can get around the ethics committee. You just go and do it because unless you're doing formal academic work then of course you're only bound by the laws of the land um, rather than the the rules of the ethics committee so we have in the past um, attached electrodes to people in haunted houses and that was one of Anne's experiments Um, I found some bizarre photographs the other day of one of (laughs) our team wearing a skull cap covered in electrodes uh, sitting in the middle of a haunted room um, which was and Something
2: I would love to do again, but unfortunately I haven't quite got the cash flow at the moment to invest in another EEG, but I would love to do that again.
0: And, of course, we don't talk about the rectal probe thermometer experiments anymore either.
2: We don't talk about that one.
0: <laughs> I actually, uh, we actually instrumented up our own team, um, as well as the location of course, you know as part of and documenting the the uh, team's psychology and uh, how they you know how they perceive their environment and the location that they're in and their experiences but from my point of view um, they they could also be monitored you know if somebody's saying "I feel you know icy cold then we can we can actually record that we have the ability to do it, but again, the you know the best way to or back then um, the best way of measuring somebody's um, body temperature, core temperature, was rectally. Um, <laughs> mm. but, you, you, you,
1: you bring up a good point, though. You say you can measure it, I, I, but I know is isn't temperature in itself relative?
0: Uh, no. As far as uh, cold and hot. <laughs> No, per, uh, somebody's perception of temperature is relative.
1: Yeah, well, uh, isn't that what it's all about, though? I mean, as far as what you're well, perceiving?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely it... right. And one of the things that Anne and I discovered, uh, and uh, this, this comes very much uh, to, to demonstrate the importance of Anne's role within the team, is that you obviously do get people saying it's gone icy cold in here or I feel colder. And what you, what you do find is that the temperature may actually have increased. It may have gone up a degree or two or they're reporting a huge you know, temperature difference. They're saying it, it was like walking into a refrigerator. It was like somebody had opened a freezer door. And what you actually measure is a temperature change of one or two degrees. So there's this the the way you perceive temperature
1: uh, so the way your body does i, I know that and I know no, this for not your fact, body is is, uh, is that that people who go through open heart surgery or or heart surgery uh become they get these extreme coldness in their chests, and there's no absolutely no scientific reason uh for it or to be measured but yet uh it's definitely the complaint that people will tell their doctors. And, and I know for a fact, because I, I went through this myself, it would be, you know, extremely warm day. And I, I was just freezing and I'd have to go out in the sun just to warm up because of uh, whatever this phenomenon was. So I, I think our bodies are not the ideal temperature or thermometer. Uh,
0: well, no, I mean, you're reliant. Anne, help me. You are reliant <laughs> entirely on your, how you perceive temperature. I mean, if we were actually to measure your core temperature, which we can do, um, even though you're reporting that you know your chest area is it feels icy cold, there may be no temperature change at all to be to be uh, documented. Um, because it's all down to how, how we perceive. It's all down
2: to your brain interpreting what the signals it's getting from your nerves and your nerve endings. So your, t- your temperature will be absolutely fine. It's how your brain's interpreting some sort of signal it's getting, and it's not interpreting it correctly. So,
1: so do you know what you're saying then, right? That our entire perception of reality is how we perceive it.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. What, what Everything that we take as real in the world is purely our perception of it.
1: Exactly. So th- that brings us back to EVPs, what we're talking about. Won't uh, individuals have different perceptions of EVPs, in other words? And, and once again, if you're – oh, wow, this is even more interesting. If you are saying what it is or you know what it is, then that's really only your perception of what this EVP is. So someone listening to it may have a different perception entirely, but they may necessarily not be wrong.
0: Yeah, they would be wrong because the original sound wave can be defined. Um, The -hmm. same as, irrespective of what somebody perceives the temperature to be, the actual measured temperature can be documented. The sound wave... Can be documented and we can, can be
2: def- in- Yeah, we can define the sound wave. We can look at the sound wave and see what it is. We can pick it apart. We can, even if we have some sort of speech overlaid on it, we can pick that apart and work yeah. out what goes into it. We then have to work out what is making people misperceive that. What is it in people that makes them misperceive it? Why do they misperceive it? Is there something that makes people more prone to misperceive it? So that's what we need to unpick. The actual sound, we can define that. We can It's a measured thing. We can measure it. We can define it. We can find out what it is. It's how the people are responding to it. It's always the people that are the thing we need to unpick. Right. I mean,
1: how many times have you said something, or certainly I have said something, and someone will think that I've said something totally
0: opposite of what I said or totally different than what I said? Happens to me all the time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when I'm trying to dodge the blame from Anne. <laughs> But no, you're, I mean, it, it, all of the, all of the uh, things that we, we look at in, in terms of paranormal investigations ultimately comes down to that human experience. It's a paranormal experience. What we're looking for, and we've, we've said it many, many times, is we're looking for that, that correlation, that link between somebody subjectively reporting an experience, seeing an apparition, and a piece of equipment documenting uh, in an objective way the the same event or a a co-related event. So, for example, and it has happened, uh, um, where people have reported the temperature has dropped or the room feels colder and the equipment has recorded a large and dramatic change in temperature, above and beyond what one might expect to normally take place, Um, and that happened between Anne and I. Um, Anne was actually uh, inside a room um, with a series of temperature recorders, uh, and I walked into the room um, and said, my God, it's cold in here. I had subjectively reported something, and the equipment had objectively measured some, the same event. hmm
2: And it's the same with the EVP sound files. You might play one file and what makes the difference between one person saying I can hear a dead relative saying something, another person saying all I can hear is random sound and maybe a skeptic saying there's nothing at all there. Three people might interpret that three different ways. Why do they interpret it three different ways?
1: (laughs) So you're you're working on the psychological effect of it more than the actual physical effect of it.
2: Well, as part of that, I need to look at the physical, you know, I need to look at the physical sound files to pick apart what's in them before I can work out why people are responding to what's in those physical sound files.
1: You know, and and I'm going to bring this up because it's really interesting is that I know several, uh, I would call them EVP experts as someone who that's all they do is deal with EVP. And they have, it's almost like a religion. Um, they hear things that other people cannot perceive, according to them. Uh, they'll hear, say, can you hear this? This is, uh, you, know, you know, this is a female voice saying uh, a high run, or something like that. And yet, if someone else is listening to it, they can't hear it. Yet to them, it's perfectly clear. So this is kind of what you're going to be dealing with right you are going to have some of those people that are no matter what noise is on there they're going to hear something in it
2: yeah yes but i mean the difficulty for me is that i can't stand back and say there's nothing there or there is something there i've got to try and approach it from a purely outside viewpoint Objective. objective i've got to be totally objective about it all which i think can be difficult in some circumstances. But yes, why are these people hearing things there and repeatedly hearing things there? Perhaps there is something there that they can hear that other people can't. I don't know. But I need to try and unpick it and find out what's going... Well, I don't need to, but I want to. I'm fascinated. I want to know what's going on there.
1: I think it's a great study. I mean, extremely difficult. I I really can see you have your work cut out for you, but uh, I'd be very much uh, – and, and how long is this going to be going on for a while, I assume,
2: if oh, you going for Oh, this will PhD. be going on for a few years, yes. I'm okay. doing it part-time, so it will be a few
0: years.
1: Oh, God yes. bless
2: you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it will definitely have to be uh, you know kept up to date. You know, that gives me an idea, Steve. Maybe I will do the same study, only on ORBs.
0: That's a very, very good idea because, as you know, there is absolutely no uh, contested area of research now with orbs. Um, no. They are, <laughs> you know, I think, definitively uh, not paranormal. Ah, um, but-
1: According to you, that's your perception of them. There are many people believe that. No,
0: that's not my perception. That was that was Uh an objective. That was done with an objective study, using Mm -hmm. a very very simple experiment. And again, like Anne said, uh, this assumption that people just that people just trot out an explanation. They're either. All orbs are dust, all orbs are moisture, all orbs are paranormal etc um, et etc et nobody ever nobody ever went off and did the very, very simple obvious experiment uh, to to definitively show uh, that they they were airborne dust, and moisture now i 've always made it perfectly clear that we 're dealing with one particular class of phenomena, and mm-hmm. that being the, the photographic manifestation of little blobs of light that appear on primarily digital photographs mm-hmm. um, rather than other related uh, light yeah. anomalies i mean i, mean, I from, would
1: love to uh, talk uh, more orbs with you but unfortunately the doorbell rings so that means the pizza from the dead is here so i've got to wrap
0: yay. it up uh, <laughs> nice nice but, time.
1: Yeah, you know I really enjoy the ideas from across the pond. You gave me some great things to work on here. In fact, uh, this month in my paranormal study group, we are doing a red light seance. And basically, we're going to be uh, doing a lot of uh, electronic phenomena. I mean, electronic uh monitoring of it. And so we're going to see what we we can dig up with that. So that's that's kind of fun. You gave me that idea from uh, the last guest we had, I believe. So I'm looking forward to it. Anyways, it's time to wrap it up. Uh you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick, and our special guest has been in Wednesday
0: i can never see names i should well whatever just look at the skype screen the names on it <laughs> yeah i don't have skype
1: <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much and, and you're really you really got your work cut out for you and i think it's uh going to be really interesting and of course by the time you finish with this it'll probably be obsolete but that's all right
2: and i'll be old and gray
1: yeah <laughs> old and red <laughs> so thanks for thank you all for listening uh, don't forget to check out the parascience science website in our own website in egosproject.com Letter in the letter e until next week from Steve and I, yeah, I say and, you night night and god bless
0: from ghoulies to ghosties long leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night Deliver us, good lord.